Well, sadly, it has been uh, about 21 days since I was able to preach uh, before you. We had a senior Sunday uh, two weeks ago, and then last Sunday uh, was the fifth Sunday of the month. And if you're new here to Oak Crest, as I am, uh, worship services are a bit different on the fifth Sunday of the month. And so a lot has happened since I was able to last uh, stand here next to this table. Uh, for one, last weekend, my wife, Sharon, and I celebrated 35 years of marriage. Which... Um, and another thing that happened, you might have heard about, involved a guy named Darren Harrison. You heard about Darren Harrison? Here's a slide that shows you a photograph of Darren Harrison. Darren Harrison decided to go to the Bahamas on a fishing trip. A little kind of four-seat Cessna plane. He was flying back halfway over the Caribbean Sea toward Florida, and the pilot was incapacitated. And so Darren Harrison, the guy on the right, puts the headset on, contacts air traffic control, and says, my pilot is incapacitated. I don't know how to fly a plane. And so air traffic control, the gentleman there on the left, talked him all the way to the airport in South Florida. And Darren Harrison landed the plane by himself, just like in the movies. <laughs> yeah, you can applaud for that if you want to. That's great. <laughs> and I saw that story and I thought, that is wonderful. That is, the, that is so neat. I thought, I could never do that. If Dwight could do that, I could never do that. <laughs> In fact, if you want to have some fun, take a little poll among your family and ask which of you could actually do that if it came to it. But as sure as all of that happened, and I smiled and felt good about life, and then I made the mistake of actually going online. And in the 21 days since I've been blessed to preach to this gathering of God's people, uh, over 20 people, most of them children, were killed in Uvalde, Texas. And they opened up the basement of a plant in Ukraine and found 200 bodies. And the fact of the matter is, there is truly in this world a lot of nasty stuff. In fact, sometimes the world seems filled with overwhelming tragedy and darkness. There are, this day I'm sure, women that cower in fear of their husband's temper all over the country. There are, this day, I'm sure, young ladies and even young men that are lured into human trafficking. You don't need me to tell you about the darkness and the despair that occurs in this world. Kids are bullied every day during the school year. A lot of nasty things happen in this world. And sadly, nothing new is under the sun. In fact, actually, in this country, the earliest school shooting can be traced back to 1853. In fact, in this country, ever since 1853, there have been school shootings every single year. It's nothing new. The idea that people are uh, facing domestic violence and that there is a sin all over the world, especially in, it seems, the areas that we know, is nothing new at all. We live in a sinful, fallen world. And so I suppose, on one hand, we shouldn't be surprised at all this because it just makes us long for heaven all the more. But on the other hand, wow, you can't help but be shocked by some of the things you hear and some of the things you see. And I think for many of us as Christians, as it says on the slide behind me, it does feel overwhelming. And you sometimes just shake your head and you say, what is going on here? And it just makes you kind of want to cocoon, makes you want to kind of hunker down in your home and not have to deal with this world. And unfortunately, in the midst of all this, 
A lot of people question God. In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, one of the top ten most common reasons given for people choosing not to believe in God is the amount of pain and suffering in this world. In fact, one person in a recent survey put it this way, I cannot believe in a God who would allow this to happen. And it's not new. In fact, it stretches all the way back to the days of King David in the Old Testament. The fact of the matter is, King David, with his eyes, saw a a world that was overwhelmed with tragedy and darkness. In David's day, the infant mortality rate was about 80%. Eight out of every ten babies wouldn't live to see their first week of life in King David's time. In King David's time, people were conscripted into the army. In fact, it was quite common, even in David's army, for them to roll through villages and just grab up all the able-bodied males and conscript them to go fight the Philistines or the Amalekites or someone else. David saw a lot of darkness and a lot of tragedy in his world. If you were King David and you got a toothache, There was no relief. There was no dentist you could go to. There was no anesthetic. And by the way, in King David's day, they were still over 1,900 years away from the development of toilet paper. (laughs) There is nothing new under the sun. David himself saw civil war. He saw his own son betray him and lead a rebellion. David saw his family threatened. He saw his people suffer from disease and from war and from famine. David experienced the death of a child. I mean, he knew what it is to live in a world like ours. I mean, it in some ways was the same song, but a different verse. And yet, and yet in the 27th Psalm, a psalm that most of us probably have never read unless we happen to be going through the Bible in 365 days, David wrote what's on this slide. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I think that's how David may have said that and how David may have sung that. And I think that is a message that we in 21st century America need to hear today. Because there is a lot of tragedy and darkness in this world. That as God's people, we have to believe, as David did, that there is more of God's goodness in this world than there is darkness and tragedy and despair. It it might not seem that way, but I believe if you think it through, you'll realize that that is the case. And I think that's one reason among others that David can have such confidence in the goodness of the Lord. You see, here's something we often don't recognize. All the stuff that makes the headlines on the news, the stuff that makes us shake our head, all of that stuff, it stands out because it is so jarring to us. I began earlier this morning talking about Darren Harrison and the successful landing of a plane by someone who doesn't know how to fly a plane. Well, shortly after that occurred, this occurred. A plane crash in the nation of Nepal right near Mount Everest, in fact. A number of people lost their lives in this plane crash. And so what do you do with this slide and yet the story of triumph that I told you about a moment ago? If you only focus on this kind of a thing behind me, you conclude, well, the sin in this world has crowded out all the goodness. God's goodness is not among the land of the living. And yet David, who didn't know plane crashes, but knew a lot of other stuff that was unpleasant and it was heartbreaking, can also say that he is confident 
that he remains confident of the goodness of the Lord. You see, what I believe is true is that God's goodness is quiet. In fact, I think the quiet truth is that God's goodness is all around us. It just doesn't make the headlines. It just doesn't work that way. You see, I believe that every day in this country and across the world, there are more people that visit hospitals that bring goodness than you might imagine. I think there are more parents that are doing it right than parents that are doing it wrong. I think there are more husbands that don't assault their wife. I think that there are more kids that are not lured into human trafficking. I think there are more things that are good and right and proper, many of which come from the Lord. And I think that, unfortunately, everything else, like the plane crashes and whatnot, it crowds all of that out. I was walking along the trail on the campus of Oklahoma Christian last week, as I often do, and I looked off to my left, and there's a, there's a two-lane road at the north end of our campus that separates a neighborhood from our campus. And I was walking on the trail, I looked over on that road, and I saw a turtle, a big red turtle, making his way across that road. And I looked, and I saw a big Ford F-250 truck coming this way. And I went, oh no. Now, I happen to love turtles. They're my second favorite animal. Alligators are my first. Don't ask me why. And so I thought to myself, this is a disaster in the making. And so I crossed the little median of grass, and I stood in the middle of the road, and I looked up at the truck. And I picked up this turtle. I'm off screen, sorry. And I picked up this turtle. And I carried him across the trail and took him down to this kind of little pond we have on our campus. I rescued a turtle. Okay, let's try this again. I rescued a turtle. Every day in this world, people rescue turtles and do so much more. You realize that most hospitals in America have a religious origin? They do. In fact, in talking to some of my Muslim students who grew up in Muslim countries, and have converted to Christianity, one of the things I tell them is that across the world, there are, in fact, millions of Muslims, but there aren't nearly as many hospitals built by those of that faith tradition. And that's not to say anything disparaging, necessarily. It's just to say that when you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're one of God's people, you understand you do good in the world. And you can call me crazy. I know the world is sinful and fallen, and I, like you, I long for the day when the Lord returns or when I can be raised and meet the Lord in the air and go to heaven. But I believe there's more goodness and light than there is darkness. It's just that the darkness is so damaging and so destructive. And so I want you to hear this morning in this place David's words of remaining confident that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In part, we can say that because of another story that reminds us that God brings light out of darkness. He does, because sometimes that darkness can seem so overwhelming, the light will never be seen again. But I want to share with you the words of a pastor who was speaking two days after that shooting tragedy down in Texas in Uvalde. Here's what Greg Grubin had to say. I wanted to hope this was all a nightmare. I have no answers, but when the morning breaks, God is there. In the midst of the funerals in Uvalde, in the midst of all the headlines that have followed that tragedy in our country, God 
is there. Because that's where God always is. The psalmist elsewhere says that God is close to the brokenhearted. And they're brokenhearted, not just in Texas and in Tulsa, and elsewhere because of all kinds of evil and sin. But the fact of the matter is, God can bring some light out of this darkness. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis talks about this thing called the complex good. It's how God is able to take the rotten choices that people make and turn them into good things for his purposes. And though C.S. Lewis admits he can't understand it, and I certainly don't understand it, I have seen it. I've seen it a million times. I just had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman that I talked to at a wedding reception, and he was explaining how it is he came to Jesus Christ. Because he came to Jesus Christ after living a pretty hard life for the first 36 years of his existence on this earth. And he was talking about how he came to Christ because he got to know uh, a guy that he worked with whose daughter tragically drowned in an accident in California. And he got to know this guy, and the guy invited him to church. And when he was first invited to church, he said, how can you to church when your daughter was taken from you by God in such a way? And the guy said, God didn't take my daughter. My daughter is in a better place. So the guy goes to church. Long story short, becomes a Christian. Complex, good. Our God brings light out of darkness. Read the story of Joseph in Genesis. Light out of darkness. Read the story of Paul's hardships as he's imprisoned and beaten. Light out of darkness. When the tomb was empty on that day after the crucifixion, there was light out of darkness. I want to show you where I come from. This next slide is a photograph of Crater Lake. Crater Lake is a beautiful lake down in southern Oregon. In fact, it's quite near the town where my wife grew up. In fact, honestly, I think my wife's going to drive by that lake later on today when she'll use her mom's house to fly back here to Oklahoma City later on. Crater Lake, actually, it's formed when a large volcano that was over 10,000 feet tall erupted however many years ago, and it collapsed in on itself, and it left this crater. This crater here is not spring-fed. It's just runoff of snow, and it is the deepest, bluest, most beautiful lake you'll ever see in your life. It's actually a national park. You need to go there. But out of the ashes of that volcano, out of the horrible destruction that occurred when that volcano erupted, we have this beautiful, blue, gorgeous lake that speaks to the power and beauty of God's creation. That is light out of darkness. And I think if we think about our own lives, we'll recognize that in our own experiences, oftentimes God has brought light out of darkness. Which means there really is only one more thing to say about God's goodness in the land of the living, and it is this. God's goodness often comes through us. It certainly did for a small turtle over on the campus of Oklahoma Christian. But the same is true for you and I today. You see, sometimes in order for the goodness of God to be seen in the land of the living, you just have to do something. God's goodness in many ways flows through us, whether we realize it or not. There's a story in John chapter 9 that I think we need to take note of. Jesus and his disciples are uh, going along, and we read this. As they went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Then his disciples said, okay, rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? 
And by the way, that was kind of an important question back then. Whenever they encountered blindness or lameness or deafness or stuff like that, they wanted to know who's responsible for this. They want to know why. Why did this happen? How can we account for it? Kind of like us today. How do you explain what happened in Uvalde? How do you explain what happens when there's domestic violence? How do you explain what happens when people get lured into human trafficking? But the story goes on. Jesus says in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. For night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, what Jesus is telling his disciples is the question of why, or how do you explain this, or who do we blame for this, it's the wrong question. The right question is, now what? Now what? People are grieving in Tulsa, and in Texas, and in Ukraine, and maybe in your own family. Now what? How can we bring light to the darkness in their world right now? You see, that's what Jesus tells his disciples. He says that the night is coming, and so our task now is to work. That's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did, and that's what Matthew 25 is all about when Jesus says, you do it to the least of me. So I admit it, I'm kind of a fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy movies. And in the second movie of the Lord of the Rings, <clears throat> there's this scene. So here's the setting. There's this fortress. It's under attack by all the enemies of darkness and evil and these crazy creatures called orcs. And they've breached the fortress, and they're coming in. And the women and children are running away, and all the warriors are kind of cloistered together in this little room to make a last stand. And they're all about to give up. And Theoden, who's the king of this particular fortress, this little realm, and he says, so much death. What can men do against reckless hate? Kind of like us. So many shootings. So much sin. So much violence. So much tragedy. So much heartache. So many die so young. So many people hurting so great. What can we do? It's overwhelming. Our hero, Aragorn. <laughs> He's on his horse and he looks at him and he says, Ride out with me. Ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. So the king Theoden gets on his horse, and they throw open the gates, and the two kings and all these other people ride out, swords. I don't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> you know what Jesus tells his disciples in John 9? Ride out and meet them. Every time you visit someone in the hospital, you're pushing the darkness back a little farther. Every time you rescue a turtle, you're pushing the darkness back a little farther. Every time you offer an encouraging word to someone who looks down, you're pushing the darkness out a little farther. Every time you talk to someone in this auditorium who's sitting by themselves before worship, you're pushing the darkness back a little farther. I don't know what it is in your world that you can do today, tomorrow, or Thursday to push back the darkness. But Jesus calls us to do that because that, I believe, is how the goodness of the Lord can be found in the land of the living. The fact of the matter is, there will come a day. There will come a day when tragedy and darkness will be no more. There will come that day. 
I don't know when it'll come, it will come. And like you, I long for it. Here's how David concludes the 27th Psalm. It's in verse 14. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. And by the way, that phrase, wait for the Lord, does not mean sit around and do nothing. You know, take a seat, be patient. You're number 215 of the DMV. That's not what that means. Waiting for the Lord in the Old Testament, in the Jewish understanding, meant the Lord will redeem his people someday. We promise. You just have to be patient. And in the meantime, be strong and take heart and push back the darkness. Do you realize what we just sang a moment ago? This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. In Uvalde, in Ukraine, in Tulsa, and in everywhere else. This is my Father. In fact, I'm going to say this with the defiance I think this song says. This is my Father's world. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done, and Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied. And heaven and earth be one. And so the fact of the matter is, the quiet truth is that we remain confident of this. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So be encouraged by that. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied. And because Jesus died for us, our life here can bring the hope of eternal life with him. And so as is our custom this morning, in addition to being encouraged about the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living, we invite you uh, to have us help you in your life. If we can be an encouragement to you and pray for your life, please let us do that. If you'd like to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we'd be honored to do that for you this morning as well, because the goodness of the Lord is in the land of the living. And so as Kyle leads us in a moment in the next song, we'll sing. And if we can be a blessing to you, some of the shepherds of this congregation will be here in the front. Others will be back in the foyer area if that's more comfortable for you. But if we can be a blessing to you, please let us do so. And so as the goodness of the Lord inhabits the land of this part of the living, Let's stand together and sing.